Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. Live from our WSBT Radio studios in downtown South Bend. Let's go! Come on! Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Wow, don't blink. A lot of major intestinal fortitude going on here. On your home for Notre Dame football. Knocked down by Wooden. The game is over. The Irish has upset Florida State. Notre Dame is number one. And Notre Dame basketball. Number one ranked UCLA Bruins have been upset by the Irish of Notre Dame. Plus fighting Irish hockey. They score! Jake Evans scores! Notre Dame, 3.7 seconds away from a spot in the national championship game. The NFL and Major League Baseball. Oh my gracious, how about that? Sports Radio 960 WSBT, WSBTradio.com. The free WSBT radio app. Big time budgets. Now, here's your host, seven-time Associated Press Broadcasting Award winner, Darren Pritchett. It is a Wednesday night in downtown South Bend, Indiana. And we are looking forward to talking Notre Dame football with you. On this Wednesday, October the 25th of 2023, we've got the Pittsburgh Panthers coming to South Bend to take on the Fighting Irish. 3.30 kickoff on Saturday. If you want to hear some pregame conversation, by golly, we've got it for you starting at 9 a.m. That's right, 9 a.m. Eric Hansen, my co-host tonight, as well as Tyler Hork and I, we will have Game Day Sports Beat brought to you by Bud Light. Coming your way from noon until 2.30 on Saturday, live from Notre Dame Stadium. After the game, the official Notre Dame football post-game show. But we've got two hours of local sports talk coming your way tonight, including in the first hour. My name is Darren Pritchett, and he is Eric Hansen. He is the publisher and editor at InsideIndieSports.com, and he will join me today and tomorrow, once again in the 5 o'clock hour, here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. You always look refreshed, but you look extra refreshed after a bye week. So, first off, happy belated birthday. Thank you. And how did you enjoy your bye week? Did you watch plenty of football? You know what? I watched plenty of football. And on Saturday, I ate a cheeseburger. <laughs> Coach Weiss would be so proud of you. It was kind of an accident. My my son and daughter-in-law and my grandkids took me out for lunch, and they go, well, the best things at this restaurant is, <laughs> are pizza and these burgers. And I looked at the burger menu, and I thought, this sounds pretty good. And I thought, oh, my God, I'm eating a cheeseburger on a bye week. You got to do it. And I moved up in the polls. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> 
And if the people that maybe didn't remember or have not followed Notre Dame football for the past 20 years, Charlie Weiss once talked about having cheeseburgers on a bye week. Right. And His complaint was that the team, another team, which was the eventual national champions, Florida, jumped his team. And he goes, and all they did was eat. He goes, they're eating cheeseburgers, and we played a game, and they jumped us in the polls. Charlie made news today. He did. Did you see what he said on Twitter? I did not. He said it's time to start calling his son, who's the offensive coordinator at Ole Miss, Charlie Weiss, and not Charlie Weiss Jr. He said, if you want to call me Charlie Weiss Sr., that's fine, but I'm proud of my son. I feel like he should stand on his own. He's Coach Charlie Weiss. So that's what... Charles Sr. had to say about that today. I like the sentiment. I'm not sure that I understand the mechanics of it. Um, you know, they could have called him Chucky. <laughs> right? <laughs> could have. I mean, he works for the lane train. He's going to have some great stories someday to tell a lot of people. He's he's um, rising star. He is a rising star. There's a lot of people that have very high opinions of Charlie Weiss. Regular, I guess. I'm not allowed to say junior, but Charlie Weiss and I, the younger, and I will, I'm one of them. Oh, I remember the days in which the biggest thing going wrong with the Notre Dame offense was that he was holding up the signs. Yeah, but the he formation. was like 12. <laughs> remember the complaints we would get? Yeah. Just anything out of the ordinary involving Coach Weiss was just the worst thing ever. Now, if Marcus had his son, who's now a star because of the press conference the other day, being in flag football with Tim O'Malley, by golly, if he was holding up the sign, people would be throwing roses at the feet of Coach Freeman, wouldn't they? Yes, they would. True, true. <laughs> although maybe not after the Louisville game, but oh. yeah. yeah. Well, that kid that's on – O'Malley's team. He's a cute little kid. He's he's about the same age as one of my grandkids, and I had had conversations with him. He comes to practice sometimes, and he'll talk to me. And one time he was playing hide and seek from the babysitter who was watching them, and she wasn't playing hide and seek. She was pretty panicked. He goes, "Please don't tell her where I am." <laughs> that whole bit made an appearance on. Good morning football on the NFL Network today. Well, that was even cool. talked about. That was, so. It was fun. Tim O'Malley handled that remarkably well. Not one word salad in his answers. No, but the winner of the whole thing was Pete Byrne, who after that yeah. exchange came back and said it wasn't the coach's play calling, it was the execution. <laughs> That's right. Uh, well, you know what we do here. Hold on. Aha! Aha! <laughs> that was the definitive match game answer. So, Pete, put one on the board for yourself. That was the absolute great response to that exchange. All right, 513 is our time. So you did watch some football. I did. I watched Ohio State, Penn State. Wow, Drew Alar. I watched. Oh, did he yeah. look just what a rough day for the Penn State quarterback. Right. And, and it was interesting, some of the post-game talk about that, as we got into Monday and so forth, people saying, is he a square peg in a round hole? I mean, he's a brilliant quarterback, but, um, you know, I think that kind of falls on James Franklin. I mean, they were zero for third down mm. until in the last minute of the game they converted a third down when Ohio State was playing prevent defense. I watched um, Alabama and Tennessee when Alabama was struggling. Then I didn't see the part where oh, they did well. The switch. Uh, let's see. I watched um, 
I can't remember the, all the night games. I watched Washington and Arizona State because I had wow. to do my poll. and uh, Sleepwalking after the Oregon game? Who, uh, yeah, exactly. And, and boy, Arizona State blew that. They, they were up, I think it was 7-6 to six in yeah. the, late in the fourth quarter, and they could have kicked a field goal chippy to make it 10-6. to six. Instead, they went for it on fourth down through an, like a 90-yard pick six going the other way, and Washington took the lead. I say this extremely generically, but Eric, all these new analytics, college, NFL, whatever the case may be, with everybody just going for it on fourth down, I feel like analytics have made coaches dumb. Who was that coach? Wasn't it? Wasn't the guy's name Coach Kelly? The guy that always went for it on fourth the high down? school or, coach. Were we, we? Yes, it was Brian Kelly, wasn't it? It wasn't Brian it wasn't? Kelly. I think it was Kevin Kelly. Kevin Kelly. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, he came to town and he yeah. told us even if it was fourth and eighteen from his own one yard line, he's going for it. And he had an incredible record, but he also had incredible talent in Arkansas. Yeah. Then he went and coached the Blue Hose, remember? He did. Presbyterian. It didn't go so well. It It did not go well. But seriously, people are just giving away points like crazy. I just feel like it's made coaches kind of dumb. Well, yeah, I I think it's, you know, I talked to Al Golden about this a couple of interview sessions ago. And he loves to see the numbers, but then he still kind of goes Gut. by his instinct Absolutely. and his experience. But he loved to see what the numbers say, and then, okay, I'm going to do this. It's kind of like if you're – like I have to do this college pick game every week um, to compete with our subscribers and stuff. And so I don't gamble, but I, you know, I I look at what – the other fans are betting on, but I still make my own decisions. I, I think, well, boy, there's 80% of the people are picking it the other way than I am. Cause you have to pick against the spread. And, uh, but then I just make my own decisions. Now the stakes are a lot lower. Nobody cares what I finish in the pick game. They do care what Marcus Freeman's calling on the yeah, sideline. But just... I do wonder if he leans into analytics too much. Well, he said he played the percentages on that fourth down play against Louisville from his own 34 with 10 minutes to go, and there's just no percentages that say go for it there because you still have plenty of time to get the ball back twice after you punt it on a fourth and unreasonable situation. I I thought he had lost his mind, I, I, honestly, because you know he his rationale was, well, if we hold him to no. a field goal – but my thought was, if you don't hold them to field goal, the game is over. This is the game, and you haven't converted any long third and longs or any fourth downs up to that point. What makes you think this play is going to work? Agreed. And if you could hold them to a three and out, which they did, and they kick a field goal, why not punt it and get better field position? I mean, it's still taking the same amount of time. That didn't make any sense. You probably get the ball back about there the was, same spot you gave it up. Right. If you there was still it. plenty of time. I think they were yep. down. It was a two-score game. Yes. And maybe 10 minutes or yes. 10 and a half minutes left. There's just no percentage he was talking yeah. about that says go for it there. Yeah. So that's another one of those learning curve moments that make you cringe a little bit. All right. Let me get to some topics, Eric, as we kick off today's program. And I want to ask you about the offense, and I'm sorry to do this because you just came off a chat and there were a lot of questions about the offense, and I know you get bombarded with offense, but let's be honest, 
The defense the, is playing really well. Special it's, teams is okay. It's kind of head coaching decisions and offensive strategy and play calling and clarity and execution. Yes. So I, I apologize to our listeners if you get tired of hearing about offense, but that's kind well, of the broken wheel. They must be tired because there were a lot of questions. I yeah. didn't even take all the offensive questions today because a lot there was a lot of overlap. Okay, so let's go with this. We got four games left in the regular season, mm-hmm. and Notre Dame is going to be favored in all four. Correct. And you could argue three of the four teams have some question marks at quarterback. Although it looks like Wake Forest starting quarterback will be back this week, Griffiths. So Klubnik is not playing great, but he's not playing awful right now. But the other quarterbacks are kind of up in the air. Well, you could Clemson fans might describe Klubnik differently than I just did, but his stats aren't awful, but they're not winning. Right. Okay. So with that being said, what can offensive coordinator Jared Parker do over the next four regular season games to alter the perception that we deal with on a daily basis, talking to Irish fans, when it comes to his offensive strategy and his play calling? Well, score more points and get more yards. <laughs> okay, but, next okay, subject. Now, how do you, how do you go about doing yeah. that? I mean, he's at a crossroads in that he he's going to get the curveball until he can hit it. So the curveball for him is a loaded box. So he's Serrano in Major League. Right. So he's Serrano in Major League. So he either has to pray to the bucket of chicken or whatever that was, <laughs> or he has to... Yes. Or he has to... Um, <sighs> s- scheme and execute his way out of it. We'll give execution something here too but he also has a scheme his way out of it and you know the the way you're going to have to do that is beat the team down the field with your downfield passing game I mean there's other things in addition to that I mean obviously plays where you can get the ball out of your hands quickly and sometimes screens will work and you know people say why not a crossing pattern I mean they're all good they're all good suggestions but I mean, the downfield passing game, especially if it's the field receiver, whether that's Rico Flores or Tobias Merriweather, that's going to be the quickest way to open things up. The interesting thing to me, Darren, is what Duke and Louisville did, and to a certain extent USC did to scheme against Notre Dame, Pitt does naturally. That's their defense. They lean into the run. They take a lot of chances with their pass rush. They're willing to to give up a big play in the passing game, and it shows in their pass efficiency defense rating. They're 95th. They're 26th in total Mm -hmm. defense, 95th against the pass. That disparity comes from that philosophy, and that's kind of been Pat Narduzzi's thing. And so this is the perfect team to show it against because guess what? Right after this comes Clemson. They don't have a defensive weakness. Well, their defensive weakness is – their offense is a mess, and their <laughs> locker room is kind of a mess. But they're not, and they're on the CW this week. Yeah, but they're but they're not a mess. That's that's one of the better defenses, if yeah. not the best defense Notre Dame will face. But there's other problems with that team. Um, so this is the week to get it right. This is the week against the ideal defense that does this all the time. This isn't new for them, and yet they have a weakness. Their weakness is what you should be doing to break through against them. Now, obviously, you are going to need to be balanced or they're going to know what you're doing every time. So, again, the thing is, put them in a pass-run dilemma 
as much as you can, which Notre Dame didn't do against Duke And you can do that schematically right. to an extent. You can do it and I mean, play calling. Notre Dame got in third and longs too much in both of those games, Duke and Louisville. And in and, and the USC game, not so much. I mean, they had some short fields. They did cash in the turnovers. They only had 251 yards. They only had 49 offensive plays. But they had some icky three and outs where you just kind of went, okay. Uh, isn't it – let me build on that. Isn't it kind of – odd isn't the right word. But you put up 48 against USC, but seven is special teams. Right. Seven is defense. So you're down to 34. And a lot of those 34 points, you were put into position by the defense right. giving you great field position. I'm not taking anything away from the offense. They still had to score, and they did. But when they got the ball in a normal situation, Eric, the offense kind of looked like the last couple of weeks. So right. I hate to be whiny and complaining when they score 48, but right. when you dig deeper, didn't we feel like that Notre Dame should have done more against USC's defense, especially after Utah's, what, 19th-string quarterback helped them go for yeah. 500 yards last week? Well, I think some of it was once Notre Dame was in command of that game, they didn't want to get too cute with the offense but yes they should have been able to do more against that defense that defense is not good um you know they have some good players here and there but they are they've been porous against pretty much anybody that has any semblance of an offense Arizona just absolutely gashed that defense I like Arizona. I, I like their backup quarterback. They drilled Washington State the next week. They did, and they played Washington within a touchdown. The Arizona schools did a very good job against who I consider the best team in the country. Eric Hansen, publisher, editor, InsideIndieSports.com. Darren Pritchett with you on WSBT Radio. Just, again, talking about schematic advantages, but you said you watched a portion of the Alabama Tennessee game, and I brought this up on yesterday's program, just one example of taking what you want to do offensively and forcing the defense into a bad spot. Tennessee, their first touchdown, which Squirrel White had a great catch. I don't know if you saw it. He caught yeah. the back end of the football. Yes. What did they do schematically? They got their best wide receiver on an outside linebacker who did not have help over the middle because that part of the field was cleared out. Eric, there's an, an example of of taking a weakness in the defense and shoving it down their throat. Now, the kid made a great catch, but Milton made a, a throw to give him a chance to make the catch. But that outside linebacker had no chance against that speedy wide receiver, and you saw him looking to the middle of the field. Where's my safety? Yeah. It wasn't there. That's just one example where the offensive coordinator can help his quarterback and help his wide receivers that could use a little help at this particular time. I agree. I don't think Marcus is going to move off his statement about no, what, no. what it is, and perhaps he shouldn't. You know, I, I, you know, if he said, "Yeah, you know, boy, I, I went over to Jared's house and scolded him," I mean, that's <laughs> not going to, not going to help things. Um, and you know, I wasn't in the um, Jared Parker um, press conference last night. I always kind of I'm sitting there waiting for Al Golden and sure. they overlap. So I looked at a little bit of the quotes. I mean, there wasn't any anything yeah. revelatory there. So, But some of it is what you're fixing, you don't want to really share with the world either. I no. mean, if he said, you know, I mean, if Marcus said, 
you know what we we changed all our blocking schemes and and we came up with some really great play concepts he's not going to tell us that at this point he might have last year but he won't this year he's he's learned to pull back a little bit you know you have to balance in in terms of the perception that you're giving recruits and fans and stuff with okay what's best for the team I probably would handle it a little differently if I'm the head coach. I probably say everything needs to be better. I know that's really generic, but continuing to say it's just execution, you're kind of calling out the players accidentally and taking everything off the shoulders of your play caller. Well, he what he tried to do then was say, but the coaches need to coach them so that they're clear. So he tried to kind of tried, go yeah. back door with it. So, I mean, there's really no way to win, win that. Everything with, needs to be better. Yeah, everything. everything needs to be better. If I heard that, I'm like, yes. Okay. Yes. The concession stand food needs to be better. The uh, parking attendants need to be better. The people. No, I won't say it. Never mind. Okay. All right. I'll I'll hold that to the commercial break. Okay. Let's go to another question. If the Irish don't make a New Year's Six bowl game, are there any good options? There's some interesting ones. I I you know. I think the ReliaQuest Bowl is the one that everybody's kind of locked in on because there is a path and it's not really all that off the beaten path for them to end up there playing Brian Kelly and Ellis. I'm in favor of uh, execution. Right. So that used to be the old Outback Bowl. It's in Tampa. I believe it's January 1st this year. Um. Uh, that would be an interesting bowl game. It'd be fun. Uh, but I think they're better <laughs> off playing in a New Year's Six Bowl. I think they have more to prove there, and I think that's where they should want to end up. As far as, um, as far as okay, if they don't end up in the ReliaQuest Bowl, they have this thing in the ACC called the first tier of bowls. So there's a whole bunch of them. And what they played, what was it when they played it at last? It was the Camping World Bowl. It's yes. now called the Pop-Tarts Bowl. <laughs> so. I'm sorry, I'm just thinking of Carter Carls after his Cheez-Its thing yeah. last year. If he went to this, who knows what was going to happen. So the Pop-Tart Bowls versus the Big 12. There is the Bad Boy Mowers Pinstripe Bowl versus the Big 10. The Duke's Mayo Bowl, Big 10. The Wasibi Fenway Bowl versus the American Athletic. Don't you miss the pool and weed eater bowl about right now? The military bowl with the American Athletic. They won't end up in either yeah. of those. I mentioned the Raw Iaquest. Um, the Holiday Bowl versus the Pac-12. Yeah. It's usually a team that's further down in the Pac-12. Um, they went to year. last year one of these Tier 1 bowls. That was the Tax Slayer Gator Bowl versus the SEC. And then the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl. They're great. And you play the... Pac-12, the, most likely out of that group, if it's not the ReliaQuest Bowl, which would have first pick and they would pick Notre Dame, I would say probably the Holiday Bowl or the Pop-Tarts Bowl. Can we come to an agreement since our two companies are working together inside yeah. IndieSports.com and, and WSBT Radio? If we play LSU, can we work together and – bring clarity to the world and call this the cafeteria bowl. 
Oh, I'd love it. Can we do that? I think we should call it the Cafeteria Bowl, and the winner gets the LSU cook. Oh, <laughs> the chef that obviously has made such a big difference going from Notre Dame to LSU. It's made such a big difference in the number of victories that BK is winning right now. I think more people know what a cafeteria is than what a Relia Quest is. <laughs> That's right. I'm in favor of uh, execution. Maybe, maybe our entire team needs to be executed after tonight. I'll tell you what. Dabo Sweeney topped that last week. I I have had, like, during the season, I've had, like, four dreams where I'm in a Brian Kelly press conference. (laughs) So if this comes true. (laughs) (laughs) Please stop there. We have not spoken since he's left, so it'll be interesting. I have spoken to people on the staff. I just haven't talked to Brian. (laughs) No, I'm not going to ask what happened in the dream. We'll just we'll let people wonder. We'll let their minds wander. Okay, what you guys talked about. All right. Uh, finally, I'm kind of curious. You're a voter in the Super 16. Okay, so I'm wondering who your top six are right now because I have my updated. DP rankings up until I say Notre Dame to bring to the world in the 6 o'clock hour. So I'd like to know who your top six are. If the season ended this moment, who would be your four playoff teams and who are the two on the outside looking in? So let's start with the two on the outside looking in, five and six. Five, I have Michigan, and I actually moved them up this week, and then all the sign-stealing stuff got really interesting. Did that affect your vote at all? It might. Okay. But they need to be proven guilty first. I mean, just all this really damning evidence isn't enough, but I'm keeping an eye on that. But Michigan, Hmm. they, they just haven't played anybody. And they can only play the teams in front of them, but you also are in charge of scheduling your own non conference games. I mean, nobody forced you to play Bowling Green, East Carolina. Right. But they look the part. They look the part. Right now. They look the part last year and got dismantled by TCU. Right. So we'll see. So Michigan 5 and Oklahoma 6. Those Mm. are the two on the outside. Look at my list. Okay. All right. So now let's go number one. Washington. You've been consistent with that. Yeah. They almost blew it, but I I thought I'm going to keep them up there because I – I still think they're better than the team I have at number two. And you're wanting an improved Christmas grip from your old colleague, Mike Varell, who works out in Seattle covering Washington football. Get me an Arby's gift card. Okay. (laughs) Number two. Ohio State. I moved them up this week. I, I tell you what. Just This is just Darren's opinion. Everybody has their opinion. I'm still not impressed with their offense. I'm not impressed with their offense. I just don't think they're one of the best four teams in the country right now. But their defense. I agree. Yeah. You you hold. I mean, basically, they held Penn State to six points. They got a cheapy touchdown right at the end, you know. But but even 12 points. So you hold Penn State and Notre Dame to a total of 26 points. (sighs) Offensively, if they didn't have Marvin Harrison on their team, they would be in trouble. Uh, and and they I played agree. that yeah. game, and they did play the Penn State game without Trayvon Henderson and Emeka Abuka. So that's, Fair. I mean, Abuka's a, a top of the first round draft pick. Henderson's a pretty good running back. They still have Tony Alford, the great running back coach, <laughs> to take care of all that stuff. I just, 
Eric, I, I walked away from the Notre Dame game saying Ohio State's good but not great. Maybe it's because of the high well, standard of how good Ohio State has been, Eric. To be fair, maybe that is why I'm unfairly judging. Is, but Notre Dame was the better team, and they should have beat them. And I keep telling myself, if Tommy Reese was the offensive coordinator, is the outcome different? Is Are any of these teams great? This would have been the perfect year to have oh, the 12-team playoff yes. because you could have somebody 5-12 through 12 win the whole thing. Kind of like the Diamondbacks right now. Kind of like the, the Diamondbacks the and the Rangers. Yeah. Aren't the Rangers a wild card team yeah. too? Yes, they are. Nobody had 90 wins. But you know what? The TV networks can't be happy about that. I'm excited about it, but just because Carter texts me every time an ex-Cardinal does something. but Yeah, well, that happens quite often this time of the season. And, hey, the Diamondbacks... They were not going to make the playoffs, but they torched the Cubs the last month, losing only one time to Chicago in two series. Yeah. Thanks, Cubs! And all of a sudden, the Arizona's in the World Series. I kept saying on the show, there's a path to the World Series. If you're the sixth seed, you get the Brewers and the Dodgers. That's so much better than taking on the Braves and also the Phillies. That's not a great road. Well, the D-backs kind of took the Cubs' spot, and now look where they are. I love how we get off from the top four teams in the country I, to that with without having beer in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> without having a Bud Light. I don't know. We're powered by Bud how Light. Did, we just How did we get to baseball there? I don't know. Okay, okay, so anyway, your top four, you have Washington one. I got you out, Pat, because I'm just not sold on Ohio State yet. I think they get drilled by Michigan, but that's just me. Three is Georgia. Okay, like that. Four is Florida State. And I'm telling you, Darren, I watched um, the one game I didn't mention that I watched was Duke-Florida State. Yeah. And Duke was in control until Riley yes. Leonard goes down, and then it completely fell apart. Yeah, they were in great shape in the first yeah. half, no doubt. We they have were in great shape in the second half. It was 20-17. to 17. They're driving for a touchdown that's going to put them up 10. He gets hurt. They bring in their backup quarterback, and then they don't kick the field goal there, which I don't necessarily think that was a bad thing, but with that second-string quarterback, I probably would have taken the points, but then it was all over. They just – Florida State knew, okay, nine guys in the box, you know, let's stop the run and dare this kid to pass, and he was way off target. Yeah, no question. We have the same top six, but not one of the six in the same spot. <laughs> okay. That's okay. That's and, all right. That's, that's fun. That says something about, it's again, the, the parody this year. I mean, I'll go what my top 12 is. Seven is Oregon. That's what I have. Eight is Oregon State. Mm. Nine, Texas. Ten, Alabama. Eleven, Ole Miss. And 12, Notre Dame. Mm. I think – there are a lot of national contenders in the 5 through 12 group. It won't always be that way. There are years where there's a big cliff between 4 and 5, but I don't think this year is one of those years. So you have Notre Dame ahead of Penn State. I do. They I, look so rough against a good opponent that I can understand why yeah. you would do that. And, and what's Penn State's best win? What's their best win? UMass? <laughs> I mean, seriously, yeah. what's their West Virginia? Illinois? I mean, come on. But but Notre Dame has beaten Duke. They've beaten yeah. USC. Fair. I mean, they've got some good wins. They have the icky Louisville loss, but Louisville's ranked. 
Notre Dame should have beaten Ohio State. Penn State should not have been that close to Ohio State, to be honest. I don't I don't know that Penn State could beat Duke at full go. And I don't know that they necessarily win the USC game. I mean, I think they would give Caleb Williams some problems, but I think Caleb Williams would give them some problems. And so we'll see. Speaking of problems, USC. Oof. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff going on there. So you have Notre Dame 12. Okay. Yeah. I was mm-hmm. curious, very curious. I have them ahead of Utah. I went back and forth on that one. Right. They, they still don't have their starting quarterback, and Eric, they only have one and, loss. And, and they've ruled him out, I think, for the rest of the oh, season. Oh, I hadn't heard that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So now the skep- speculation, somebody was, you know, um, in my notifications on X slash Twitter saying, is Cam Rising going to come to Notre Dame next year? I thought you were going to say, well, we know the offensive coordinator there. Yeah. He's toured a hockey game. <laughs> they, their offense hasn't been good. This no. was the first game, and they really exploited USC's defense. Yeah. Now, the th- other thing was, though, I mean, they beat them on a last-second field goal. Notre Dame buried them. Buried them. For yeah. the most part, yeah. All right. Do you think in a few years, few years that – Xavier Watts will go on YouTube and show his grandkids. Oh, let's show you this Notre Dame-USC game from 2023. Holy cow. He's a pretty humble kid. I don't know whether he would do that or not, but somebody in the family would. No question. Yeah. Sports Beat brought to you by Budweiser, the king of beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Football fans, this Bud's for you. By Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger, now with three locations, serving Michiana's most favorite pizza since 1978. Bethel University's Adult and Graduate Studies. Visit BethelUniversity.edu slash solid ground for details. The Food Bank of Northern Indiana. Hunger is a story we can end. Find out how at feedindiana.org. By Legacy Heating and Air. Ask how you can get free maintenance for life and save like a champion today. Midland Engineering Company beginning their second century of quality roofing experience. The Mishawaka Education Foundation granting a better future. And South Bend Orthopedics trusted in the community for 75 years. When Eric and I return, the Notre Dame depth chart. We see changes at wide receiver. Is this a big deal? Is this a smoke screen? Is this something that might help Sam Hartman a little bit? We'll get into that storyline coming up next on WSBT. Here come the Irish. Notre Dame football coverage continues now. And a diving catch by Notre Dame. Benjamin Morrison. Three interceptions on the day. Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Intercepted on the 45-yard line. So Bracey. On Sports Radio 960 WSBT. He will score. 10-5. Touchdown, Benjamin Morrison. 95 yards out. And we're back on Budweiser's weekday sports beat, 546. We're live on 960 AM WSBT, streaming live at WSBTradio.com, our WSBT radio app, and a live feed of the studio on the Twitch app. He's Eric Hansen, the publisher and editor at InsideIndieSports.com. My name is Darren Pritchett. You know, after we worked 10 years together at your old job and I had your job title in my head and it took forever for me to get it out of my head in this new start now i don't have to think about saying 
publisher and editor, InsideIndieSports.com. It's now at the top of my head. I finally have gotten that other title vanished out of my brain. Awesome. It took forever. You know, you see it's written on my script each week because I don't want to screw it up like I did that one day horribly. <laughs> well, I write it on my script, too, so I remember <laughs> who I am. You've got business cards. Come on, Nettle. you got credit cards and business cards thrown at people. All right, let's get to this. Because after Marcus Freeman's press conference on Monday, the depth chart came out after that. Many times it comes out before. But the depth chart after his press conference had changes at wide receiver. So let me explain. Then I'll have you comment, Eric. The boundary wide receiver position, which is the short side of the field, Jaden Thomas is the starter. A new backup, it's Jaden Greathouse, who moves from the slot to the boundary. Then the field, which is the wide side of the field receiver, the freshman Rico Flores Jr. unseats Tobias Merriweather. And then Eric in the slot, Chris Tyree still starts, but making his debut on the depth chart is Mr. Lacrosse, Jordan Faison. So I'd just like to get your thoughts in general what is the significance of coming off a bye where they probably self-scouted themselves and, at least on paper, have decided to go this direction? Well, I think, and, and I actually asked Marcus about it, mm-hmm. the, all this affects two things. One is you have more bodies. You have more healthy bodies, so you have more options. And two, where does this put Tobias Merriweather? And so that's why I asked about Tobias in the press conference. And Marcus had an answer where he was talking about, you know, we feel like Marcus can really help or Tobias can really help us, uh, especially, you know, maybe throwing him some 50-50 shots, not just, okay, he's wide open, let's throw it to him. And I think where what Tobias, what's on his shoulders is doing it with fewer snaps. Early in the year, we saw Deion Colsey and Jaden Greathouse be remarkably productive with pretty limited snaps. That may be where Tobias has played himself. So he's not played himself out of a position in the rotation. He may just have fewer opportunities. And again, I think some of these guys will move around a little bit. I I think we'll still see Jaden Greathouse in the slot some here and there. I think we'll see Rico Flores on both sides, but with Great House kind of moving over there primarily, Jaden Thomas healthy, there's less of a need for, for Rico to play over there. There's more of a need for them to have a really good field receiver. And why it plays into the pit game so much, Darren, is when you think about a freshman, it, it's hard to say one of the best guys getting off of press coverage is Rico Flores, but who's one of the best guys getting off of press coverage on their team? Rico Flores. That two, One of the two-point conversions he had this year, he faked the guy out of his shoes. Is that what we say on the air? Yeah. Yeah. So um, <laughs> You can go elsewhere, yeah, but shoes is fine. Yeah, but, I mean, he is really good at that. So I think the investment in him now – does he always run interpret the route, routes correctly? No. Right. Is he absolutely always fearless and never nervous? Pretty much. So there's a lot to build on there. It's just you're hoping that he c- continues and teaching him 
to get more into the nuances of the college game, but there's a lot to work with there. And, and then in the process, you're not giving up on Tobias Merriweather, who has the most wide receiver snaps of anybody this year. So that, that's where all these changes kind of play in. Faison isn't going away. So now you have two slots and a part-timer and Jaden Greathouse can, who can move back and forth, and you can really depend on. So you have some more options. Ideally, I mean, you'd love to have Deion Colsey back and healthy. Then you got another boundary receiver who's got a big body who really is the typical boundary receiver. But I think this group is going to be pretty good to throw at Pitt. The demotion of Merriweather is just time. And it's been coming. And you're not, yeah, and absolutely. It's not showing up on the depth charts, but if you look at snaps, yeah. it's been happening. This right. makes it more, I guess, official. official to fans who pick up, you know, the depth chart. Right. But does any of this still happen if Merriweather was playing better or is Merriweather the first domino and that has resulted these other dominoes to fall? Well, I think the great house move is because you don't you're lacking bodies in the boundary. Okay. So, if Deion Colsey were healthy, they may never activate phase on this season. They may have not have made that move, but they just felt, okay, this guy is super fast. He's super athletic. I, we don't care if he's a walk and we don't care that we have to invest the scholarship because him playing now means he moves from lacrosse scholarship to football scholarship. You can't hide guys in other sports. <laughs> so if he's playing both, then he is a football player. Um, but but the part of Jared Parker's way out of this is to get a productive field receiver, whether it's Flores or Merriweather or both of them, it's harder to get out of the funk that he's in without somebody on that field side that commands a double team or at least makes the defensive coordinator think about it. If you can cover, if you can press man and be pretty confident that Tobias isn't going to catch the ball, and, and quite honestly, Darren, you know, I wrote about this um, earlier this week. He's got the, the worst catch rate. He's caught I think 44% of the balls thrown to him. He also has the highest drop rate, a percentage of drops of anybody on the team by a wide margin. That doesn't make him a bad player. doesn't mean he won't eventually be a great player, but that's where he is now. That's the snapshot you're looking at. And that's where, now Rico's second on the team in drops, but he's also done some amazing things. And again, that his mental you know, his mental state is in a really good spot. There's a lot to build on there. He's absolutely fearless. So when you're talking about Flores, I want to lay this out for the average football fan that might be listening. When there is tight man coverage at the line of scrimmage, Rico is really, really good, maybe the best on the team at fighting off the hands being put on him at the line of scrimmage and getting away from the defender Right, starting his route on time as best as possible. Because when you got tight coverage, they're trying to lay a hand on you, reroute you, break up the timing of the offense. Then, he, Yeah, go ahead. So the thing that Rico, probably the next step for him, is when you have that choice route, depending on right. what a safety is doing, for example. Where your depth comes. Yes, that's where he has to 
make the right choice because right. the quarterback is expecting him to go there, and sometimes he goes there. Right. So maybe there's a safety that's moved into that side of the field, and you break off the route and run it 12 yards instead of 20. Yeah. And Sam is thinking 20, and sometimes Rico's thinking 12 or 15 or somewhere in that neighborhood. It's a big jump from high school. It's a big jump from high school. He does have the speed to separate, so that's another positive. Um, so there's there are some nice assets there on which to build. But, you know, again, people forget that um, there have only been, since 2010, three freshman receivers on Notre Dame's team that have had more than 10 catches in their freshman season. Three. And not the three that you probably think. So... Hmm. Interesting. It, it, one of them is, is still playing college football and isn't a wide receiver anymore. Lorenzo Styles. Oh, okay. Kevin Stefferson wow. and TJ Jones. Kevin Those are the three. The deep threat. But I mean, there we had Miles Boykin on the podcast, and we'll have some of that excerpts on Saturday. But Miles had zero catches as a freshman. Then it went to seven, then twelve, then fifty-nine. So and the fifty-ninth was a big one, right? So, <laughs> so, so not everybody's. And the twelfth one was a big one too. That was in twenty seventeen. The twelfth one at the end of the twenty seventeen. Oh, that was the season. LSU game, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah. My mistake. But, but, uh, so not everybody progresses. That's I mean that Rico's already in double digits. You have both both those guys. So you had three. Between 2010 and 2022, you had three guys in double digits as freshmen. This year, you have two. That's why I say take it easy on Chancey Stuckey. You know, he's got a young receiving core, and I think Rico has, and probably Greathouse too, has exceeded what I think was reasonable to expect from them as freshmen. Pretty good chance Cam Williams goes into that category next year. I would, I would bet your shirt on it. This is an old-school Adidas. I like it. It's probably not worth a whole lot, unfortunately. So final question about this wide receiver subject. Now, understanding they're still going to play multiple wide receivers. It isn't going to be just the three starters I'm going to talk about here. There's going to be roles for everybody. Right. But with these changes and based on the depth chart, your starters would be Thomas, Flores Jr., and Tyree. Do you believe they're getting their best three wide receivers on the field at the same time? The best three healthiest in this snapshot, yes. Okay. Yes. So when everyone's healthy, does Great House work his way into that top three I'm asking about? I think Great House is better than Tyree at this point. I think Tyree still has a lot to tease out in terms of how good he can be. He's Eric Hansen, the publisher and editor at InsideIndSports.com. He mentioned his conversation with former Notre Dame wide receiver Miles Boykin, now with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Correct. You can get it right now at InsideIndieSports.com or where you get your favorite podcast by searching InsideIndieSports.com. Yes, and, 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 Inside Indie Sports Podcast. I got tongue-tied. Publisher and editor. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I don't feel so bad. Thank you. You make me feel good. All right, we'll take a quick timeout. We'll have our Twitter question of the day next here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. 
This is the Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat Twitter question of the day from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. I'm Darren Pritchett. He is Eric Hansen, the publisher and editor at InsideIndieSports.com. And we have the results of yesterday's Twitter X question of the day. This kind of stemmed from a sports beat, kind of off-the-road discussion. Notre Dame is 6-2 and two right now. Sam Hartman is the starting quarterback. If Drew Pine, last year's starter, was the starter this year, the Irish's record would be. I got to admit, I screwed up. I wanted to do this differently, and I did not put the answers the way I wanted to. So no surprise, the answers ended up the way they did. So my It had to be in a landslide for D. It was execution by me that was very, very poor. <laughs> when I saw the options, I thought, okay, uh-huh. I know where this is going. <laughs> so this one's on me. I'll wear it. But the choices were 8-0, 7-1, 6-2 or worse. I should have probably went 7-1 or 8-0, 6-2, 5-3 or worse than that. All right. All right, so here are the results, and then we'll talk. Okay. Nobody voted for 7-1. and one. Okay. 2% said 8-0. No. Mr. and Mrs. Pine. Aha! <laughs> Aha! <laughs> 5% said 6-2. Uh, and, 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 and believe me, I love Drew Pine as a person. He was – that kid yeah. put so much into the program. He did. He did. Five percent went with six and two, and ninety-three percent said the team's record would be worse. When this was brought up on a, a YouTube chat, I thought the best Notre Dame would be right now if that was the scenario is five and three. Because Eric, I don't believe with that quarterback they beat Duke. That ninety-five yard drive does not happen unless it was Sam Hartman. So I think the best we'd be talking about is five and three, but I can't find another game I would change. I, I don't think they beat USC. You don't think so? Mm-mm. Really? Even with all the defensive help? No. Because I don't know that the they would have been as emboldened <laughs> to do those things defensively. I and I don't know that he would have cashed them in. I I don't know. I and I think USC might have had a different offensive game plan. Knowing that Drew Pine was the quarterback, I mean, hmm. I mean, we have last year's game, the last game of the season, regular season, to gauge it by, and and they basically let Drew Pine have free reigns, go ahead, and he was like twenty-two of twenty-six, and they still won by eleven points. I I I don't think they beat USC. So you think they might be four and four? I do. I would say five and three. Another person said six and two. So. Very interesting. Three different opinions on the beat. Okay. All right. So I wish I would have handled that differently. So my strategy, play calling, and execution all stunk there. So I'll take the hit, Eric. That's how you do it. You blame everything. I thought that was the easiest one of the whole year. Oh, terrible. Terrible. All right. Today's question is very simple. Okay. Not even I could screw this one up. Okay. Sitting with a record of six and two... And Notre Dame has, coming up, Pitt, Clemson, Wake Forest, and Stanford. That's left on the schedule. Your expectation is the Irish will end the regular season 10-2. and 
on my Twitter account at 960 Sportsbeat. You can vote yes or no. Yes means you think absolutely. That's the right expectation. They're going to go 10 and 2. If you vote no, that means eh, not so much. So, what do you say? I say if Tim O'Malley were the offensive coordinator, wait a second. <laughs> uh, I I'm going with yes. I don't think that's a slam dunk, but that is my expectation for them to win the rest of their games. So Clemson, despite how they look right now, is still a concern. Anytime you play defense that well, it's going to keep you in the game, and then you don't know what the conditions will be. If there's going to be a monsoon like there was in 2015, you don't know if you get into a turnover game. You just don't know, but... I have confidence in Notre Dame's defense in that matchup. I'm not sure how I feel. One thing I feel good about is Sam Hartman lit that defense up last year with a lot of the same players. Very true. Yeah. Very true. That's one of the places he has a very good memory, recent memory of. I would be very disappointed if they're not 10-2. and two. I'd be very disappointed, even with the concerns we have that we talked about in the first 25 minutes. Even with the possibility of the cafeteria bowl, you would be disappointed if they went Hmm. and go 10-2. I think think you're in a good place with that. I think, yes, you should be disappointed. Just want you to know that uh, Bubakar Jr. just texted me and said, simplification leads to clarity even on Twitter. (laughs) Do you know who I'm talking about? (laughs) I do. Come on, Darren. It's all about execution. I'm in favor of uh, execution. Maybe maybe our entire team needs to be executed after tonight. You know what? Dabo made a worse comment than that. Did you hear it? Yes. What? Who was he referring to about the suicide? No, it was a reporter asked if he has a sports psychologist for the team, and he said yes, and they're probably on suicide watch right now. Okay, so I didn't know what the question was. I just saw the answer. And I thought, who who's on suicide watch? I thought, oh my It God. was extremely yeah. uncomfortable. Yeah, that would be very uncomfortable. Not good. Not good. But you know what? Even with all the things we talked about in the first 20 minutes about the offense and everything, you go down to Clemson and you just find a way. And just find yeah. a way. There you go. To beat Navy. Did you just see? Just find a way to beat Navy. Okay, so I watched their um, – I watched part of the Clemson-Miami game the, oh. in the – Second overtime, the fourth down play. That, if that was an analytics play, and apparently it wasn't, because Dabo outed Klubnik oh. in the in the press conference. He goes, "We're the play was to go up the middle with the ball, and the, and that was all on him." I think it was getting back at Klubnik for not giving him the the five coming off the field against Duke. Did you see that? And Dabo <laughs> turned around and looked at him like. You didn't give me five, dude. Yeah. So that was just payback for that. <laughs> wow. Woo. That's why I said they have some problems beyond their offense. I mean, there's some leadership. And and I like Dabo, and I think he's done a really good job there. But I think he needs a good talking to. <laughs> <laughs> I mentioned last night with Dabo falling behind the times. It's yeah. like he's got a BlackBerry and everybody else has an iPhone. He's just. I have a BlackBerry. Do no, you really? I, no, 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 no. I have a. I, I was going to say. I have an Android. And if 
somebody wants to sponsor me, I will say Android, but I said iPhone because I have an iPhone. But anyway, all right. So with that being said, we'll wrap up this hour. You got to go. But before you go, you get to tell us what people will find when they go to your website, InsideIndieSports.com, which is covering Notre Dame sports via the Rivals Network. We are. And today we had our live chat, so... A really fun chat transcript today. A lot of good questions. Not all of them about the offense. Um, Tyler James did a really good job with his feature on on uh, the nose guard. Howard Cross? Howard Cross the third. I, I was really compelling questions, compelling answers. So compelling that I forgot the kid's name. Um, we have our <laughs> transcript from Al Golden's press conference last night. Podcast. All kinds of great stuff. Go to InsideNDSports.com And the same five offensive linemen are starting this week. That's absolutely Tyler true. asked that. I'm glad he did. Yes. No rotations. No rotations. Maybe they'll rotate when they're being rushed, when the passer's being rushed. They'll rotate around. That's me hitting my head against a wall there. I apologize. I'm going to let you get out of here. You okay. got 11 minutes of overtime coming from our station because it's 6 oh, cool. 11. So, wow. Look forward to getting that check, right? That sounds great. <laughs> All right. We'll do it again tomorrow. Sounds good. All right. That's Eric Hansen again. Check him out. Publisher, editor at insideindsports.com. Coming up, my DP rankings up until I say the word Notre Dame. Eric has Notre Dame ranked 12th. I have him in that ballpark as well. We'll get to that coming up. And I hope I'm going to have time for this because I have Pat Narduzzi audio to pass along as he talks about, among other things, Sebo Flemister and all the penalties. They're one of the worst teams in the country. What, almost only, nine penalties a game? Right, only three worse than them. Colorado, Colorado State, and New Mexico. It must be the altitude. There's a lot of excuses in Colorado for football teams, <laughs> professionally and college right now. We're back in a moment, 612 at WSBT. Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. 